The sinful woman, her name was Mary, at least that's what most New Testament scholars think, Mary of Magdalene. And this is a story, a great story of forgiveness in the New Testament. And I'm kind of a forgiveness guy in my theology, so I do quite a bit about forgiveness, and yet I never kind of concentrated on this, on this text until I discovered what the whole text revolved around. And what I figured out that was simply obvious, staring in, in my face, was that it revolved around the issue of touch. It's a great story of forgiveness that is tied to both the corruption and redemption of our sense of touch. Much of our lives are spent touching, touching things as we walk, sit, eat, sleep, touching each other in myriad of different ways, handshakes, kisses, slaps, bumps, caresses, and many, many other ways of touching. But touching isn't just what we do. In a very important sense, touching is who we are, or we are our own touch. You may even say that we were touched into existence from the moment of our conception through our gestation, birth, months, years of our lives. We would not be without touch. We would not exist. Touch is one of the most intimate of our senses. Maybe it competes only with taste, but all other senses kind of pale in intimacy compared to touch. In touching a human being, a skin comes against skin, and this creates a special kind of intimacy. When you touch me, I feel I touch you. We touch without mediation. But touch, of course, is very ambivalent. The touch can feed us, but it can poison us as well. The touch can make us blossom, but it can make us shrivel. If we are not caressed, nuzzled, and hugged as babies, we fail to develop, and we even die even if physically nourished. If we are not touched as adults, we languish. But again, if we are repeatedly touched inappropriately, if we are abused physically and sexually, for instance, scars are with us our entire lives. Our souls get invaded by some alien presence that colonizes and oppresses us for years. Touch is ambivalent because touch isn't skin touching skin simply. We are this amazingly alive, sensitive organ that is our skin. And it's not so much a physical contact that is itself in a touch, but the meaning that we ascribe to it. So if we step back now from this, I'll call it the brief phenomenology of touch, of the importance of touch in our lives, and look at back at our story I think we might get a sense of its import in a different way. Jesus was invited in the guest of uh, Simon, a pretty self-righteous uh, uh, Pharisee who needed to test Jesus out, this guy who was a teacher but associated with uh, 
kind of sketchy crowd. And an uninvited woman walks in as they're reclining around the very low table. Now, the problem was not that she was uninvited. That would be a problem in our kind of more individualistic uh, societies. The problem was that she was a particular kind of a woman. They knew her. The entire city, in fact, uh, knew her. She's described as a sinner. And that description as a sinner means probably that she was either a prostitute or a woman of a certain reputation. Either way, as one author has described her, when she walked through the streets, men whistled and women turned away and looked down, hissing as she passed. She was either renting out her body for men to touch, or perhaps she was simply seeking sex to satisfy her own desire, a kind of desire, though, which was, of course, deeply her own, but yet, and yet, which she experienced as power to which she had to submit against her better judgment and to her detriment. Now, what would this kind of a woman want in the company of the noble guests of a man proud for his righteousness? Mm, Self-righteousness, right? <laughs> the woman knows exactly what she wants. She goes straight to Jesus, and she goes straight to the feet of Jesus. I think her goal is to anoint his feet, but I think tear, her tears get in her way. She started weeping over these uh, feet, then she needs to wipe them, and only then can she anoint them. And the whole and ritual starts where she is anointing and kissing his feet. And she does so until indirectly Jesus stops her by addressing Simon, who Jesus knows is dumbstruck and seething inside. Simon thinks, what on earth is she doing? No, what on earth are they, are they, Jesus and she, doing in the plain sight of all? A sinful woman is touching in a sinful way a self-styled prophet who likes to hang out with sinners. This is a scandal of major proportion, and Simon is just hoping that nobody has their iPhones out and recording this thing. Right? His reputation would plummet if that were to happen. Now, for Simon, the scandal of the entire scene is this. His guest is shamelessly letting the erotic game go on. Does he not know? Does he think that Simon and other guests don't know what's going on? Or is he simply too brash to care for morality and common decency, too depraved and arrogantly setting himself up against social mores, is he just trying to insult his guest? Now, for Simon, I think the scene confirmed what he already thought about Jesus. Now, when Jesus entered his home, uh, there was a kind of refusal, deliberate refusal of touch, no kiss, no embrace, no water for feet, no anointing. Simon would eat and talk with Jesus. He thought that was enough, bold enough. But he would not touch, or he would not let himself be touched. 
And with this mindset, Simon approaches the scene, and he looks at this scene. Simon is misreading the woman, right? He thinks to himself, she was a sinful woman and sinning in touching Jesus. And yet, there was a miracle happening before his very eyes, a reputed sinful woman touching a man with pure affection. But he saw only a scandal of depravity. Simon misread Jesus. Jesus was at best condoning her sin and at most likely enjoying the very thing he should have been condemning. So what was going on? Well, I can put it maybe this way. I'm guessing, of course. A dirty mind of a self-righteous man, inhospitable for the possibility of goodness, was concocting a dirty little scene and acting in the light of it. Now, from Jesus' standpoint, the true scandal of the story was that this was for Simon a scandal. That was what was the problem. The true sinner of this story is Simon himself. Now, why did Jesus think that? Why should have Simon think otherwise? I think her tears were the key. They weren't tears of some part of some erotic game. They were tears of remorse, tears of joy, tears of gratitude, and tears of affection all in one. They, more than anything else, identify this story as, and this touch as one of affection. She knew, and Jesus knew that she knew that she was a sinful woman. She knew that the touch she had to endure if she was a prostitute or the touch that she desired to enjoy was not the kind of touch that she truly wanted, either to endure or to enjoy. And Jesus knew that she knew that she had wronged herself by touching and being touched, the wronged others as well, and she knew He knew that she knew that, above all, she herself was wronged in the process. But she also knew that she was forgiven. She also knew that she herself had forgiven. She knew that she was free. That's why she came to Jesus carrying this perfume. She experienced and wanted to express a genuine love. And she came to express this love in form of a touch. New kind of touch, redeemed touch. A touch of affection. The story does not tell us how she came to be forgiven. That's something puzzling in the story. You always wonder what came first, forgiveness or, uh, or, or, or her love, right? It seems like he forgives later. You never know how the forgiveness went, right? But you can imagine various scenes, various scenarios, how this might have happened. Mary, she feels that she has been accepted and forgiven. I think what was extraordinary about this story is just Jesus just lets her touch her, touch him. And on the one hand, he's got uh, her touching him. On the other hand, he's got Simon seething at this thing. And by the time the tension became unbearable, he addresses the Simon. Why did he do that? 
Why did he risk the scandal? And I think the answer is that she, he wanted to honor her love, now become pure. And it's this honoring of that that allowed that love to grow that sealed the transformation. Transformed, her entire world of touch was transformed. Her tears on Jesus' feet, her perfume, her hair, her hands, her kisses, the entire scene of affection and touching, that's almost like some kind of enactment, bodily sacrament of transformed touch. Two kinds of touch. A touch that is invasive, grasping, lustily egocentric, degrading, self-harming, dehumanizing, that kind of touch was the cancer of this woman's life. A new kind of touch, a gentle touch, as gentle as tears, as soft as her hair, as sweet as that perfume, this kind of new touch was the beginning of her new life and of her new kind of touch. Earlier I said that in many ways we are our touch. Without affectionate touch, we could not flourish, and in fact, we might not be able to live at all. When our touch goes wrong, we go wrong. Our hearts, hearts go wrong. Our souls go wrong. Our minds go wrong. Our seeing, our other senses go wrong. Inversely, when we go wrong, our touch also often follows. Now, when I step back from immediate experiences of touch and look at the broader culture, well, maybe we can say that we live in the world that is characterized by having touch trouble, <laughs> touch problem. Now, you can put it maybe even this way, we are too distracted by a variety of gadgets that we use so that we spend more time touching screens and keyboards than we do touching hands and uh, one another's bodies. Or we can say that we are too maybe scattered around living our individual life in our in lives in our individual cubbyholes that we don't have enough com commonality and community to be able to touch. And often the worst experience is that of people who are shut in, maybe older and unable to connect with other people. Or sometimes we're too afraid to touch. Some disease will be communicated to us. Or in our very, very sexualized culture, we're afraid that we would be violated or that we would be perceived as violating and maybe all of it together. But we are hungry for human touch. And the reason for that is the touch is the very, at the very heart of our humanity. So we need to redeem touch and renew our interpersonal life as life of affectionate touching. We need to rediscover the beauty of the purity of touch. A touch that does not violate but gives life. A touch that does not use and misuse and dishonor other, but makes her or him experience delight of being cherished. A touch of mutual delight. I hope that this story of Mary and Simon and Jesus sets us on a journey of rediscovery of a new self 
that is endowed with the possibility of a deeper, more humane, affectionate touch.